Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Kelly Lundy Rothwell, a 35-year-old woman from Indian Rock Beach, Florida, was a police cadet who was just a few weeks from graduation. On March 12, 2011, she told a friend she was going home to break up with her boyfriend. She was never seen again. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound. second part I did of an interview with Lee Clifton from the Tampa Bay Crime Report regarding the disappearance of Kelly Rothwell. In part one, we had left off with Lee in her investigation getting ready to call an Arby base in Hawaii where a woman would be serving who was married to David Perry, the main suspect in Kelly Rothwell's disappearance. You can find part one of this interview at Podomatic and iTunes, and I'd love for you to subscribe at each location. I now give you part two of my interview with Lee Clifton of the Tampa Bay Crime Report. And literally, this is before the morning my time, literally 10 minutes later, I got a phone call back from him. And I guess I got his attention, because I meant to get his attention. I explained to him, I said, well, she has security clearance, you're going to have an issue. This guy is a suspect. I told him the story. I spoke to him for a good 40 minutes. I gave him as much information as I knew to give him that, at that time, how she had been involved with David, how David was a, Perry was a uh, suspect in a, a missing person's case, the beliefs presumed dead. Uh, and if she had any kind of, if she was going to marry him, then... You might have an issue if she had, again, with security clearance kind of thing. And and here's the odd thing, and I hope your listeners find this as quirky as I do. Mm-hmm. She was in, she was in the psychology, psychiatry, psychology uh, field, and his mother was in the psychiatry, psychology field. David's, David's well. mother was in the psychiatry field. Okay. Yes. And she, and coincidentally, her last name was Walker because she remarried. So here you have his mother, whose last name was Walker. You have a woman he finds, uh, supposedly on the Internet, that he's going to move to Hawaii and marry. Her last name is Walker, and she's in the psychiatry, psychologist era, area. And I just thought that was really strange. That is weird. To me. I just thought it was really a, you know, I mean, this guy has a whole lot of weird, deep-seated issues, I believe. So that was one of the strange things I noted in one of my blog posts. And to be frank, I wrote an open letter to Melissa Walker on my blog. I wrote I saw an it. open letter. Yeah, everybody's yes. going to see it, right? Yes. She she actually answered me back, as did her sister. And um, the police read it. And, and, and the police were – the Pinellas County Sheriff's Office blessed them. They, they – I was trying to give them as much information as I could glean whenever I had a source up in Elmira – because, of course, they, you know, were not able to really 
focus their attention on that as much as I could because I was working from home on this freelancing. So I just made phone calls and called everybody and got on Facebook and, you know, did research. And, and that's how I got a lot of the information I got. I had sources up there that I will not name. I kept them anonymous and, you know, I still get information from them. So mm -hmm. I have people that have seen him and they let me know they've seen him. And it's, he's not free in the sense that he thinks he's gotten rid of all of us, especially me. Now he threatened me. He hacked my Facebook page. He made up a, another blog, um, the David Perry is Innocent blog, and he trashed me badly, which, you know, I can take it. I'm a big girl. He wrote these comments, sent comments to me and to my blog, and I have comment approval, of course, on my blog so that you can't just post crap. Yeah. Um, horrible things about Kelly. Horrible. I, I, can't even, I can't even tell you how horrible they are. But they were very, very, very nasty and just, unkind and, and just, and things about her family and about, you know, how, yeah. how, how they were just really, really terrible. And so of course I have them all. I saved them all and I sent them all to the police. Um, because I, on my blog, I have the ability to find IP addresses. So that's how we knew what was going on. How soon, how soon, first of all, it's, I just want to put this once again into the timeline. How soon after Kelly disappeared, did you call Hawaii to tell them about Melissa Walker and her being with David Perry. How long ago, how long after Kelly's disappearance? Okay, so March was when she went missing. Mm -hmm. April, May, June. I think it was in July because he was allowed to go to Hawaii. Well, concurrent with this, let's just, I was able to dig up some information from some sources that uh, did not like him at all. And, to, again, to a, to a person, I had not found one person that would speak kindly of him. And these were people that he had had associations with, and I found out that he had faked an injury for work comp. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we haven't, got in, we haven't gotten into that yet. That's a, This is going to be okay. another kicker to this story. Yeah, we might as well go there right now. Sure, let's talk about that. Because it's going to tie into Hawaii because he had been arrested, but he was allowed to go. The judge Latham let him leave the cell, and he was on probation, I believe, and let him go to Hawaii to marry Melissa Walker in July. So four, four months after Kelly disappeared. Four months after, correct. All right. Married her, and, and here's the other kicker, took her last name of Walker took her last name as David Walker. Now, the interesting other twist to this, we can't get much more twisty-twisty than this, he ended up applying for an international driver's license. Now, an international driver's license is nothing more than a, a driver's license allows you to drive either in California, I mean, uh, either in Canada or Mexico. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it says international, but that's really what it is. And it takes approximately six months to be approved. So he changed his name in July to David Walker. And I thought that was really interesting that he was flying and would, in six months' time would be getting an international driver's license. When I found out, I let law enforcement know, you know, by this time the New York State police were already on the fraud case. He had been 
they had looked into that. They decided there was probable cause. We went mm -hmm. to grand jury. And do we should we talk about the fraud right now at this second? What was so was we because we brought up the, the word fraud a couple times here because listeners yeah. might be a little confused. What is this fraud case that happened in 2003, a full five years before he met Kelly Rothwell? What was the fraud case? Right. In 2003, David was a corrections officer at, at Elmira, and they would have what's called a team, the Red Dot team. And the Red Dot team were different people that were uh, specifically five or six people that were to respond to what they call a Red Dot, which was a, a prisoner uprising, a prisoner problem. Um, these specific people, only those specific people that were picked that, that day for that shift were to respond. Everyone else was to stay, where they, stay in place. So one particular day, at evening, I guess, afternoon, evening, I believe it was evening, uh, they got a call for a red dot. And David turned to one of the guys in the room where he was and said, see you later, fellas, that's my ticket out. I'm out of this. I'm out of here. Hmm. And he took off. He was all the way on the other side of the prison from where the altercation was happening. So he literally had to go through two or three locked doors to respond to an altercation that he was not authorized to respond to. So when he got there, apparently they'd already subdued the guy. But David says the guy pushed him and he fell and hurt his back. And he put in a work comp claim. He went to doctors. They signed off on the claim. And that's when he retired with a three-quarter pension from the New York State Police Insurance Fund. Um, and that's when he started living the high life. In 2003. So, 2003, 2004, yeah. When okay. I, think, I think he finally, got, it finally went through in 2004. Okay. Um, so that the fraud was called it was grand larceny and fraud because when he was he was convicted of it, and um, that was where the fraud the fraud case comes in. It was all concurrent. Now, see, the thing is, is what I thought was great, which I tried to do, was to get people to testify against him. And it kind of, you know, I was contacted by somebody, then I called this, uh, the Boone County DA, and then I called the Tremont County, the Steuben County DA, and I started making phone calls, and and then they took it from there. So. You know, I just try to help get the ball rolling. So he got this settlement, though, in 2004. But then years later, something something popped up that they started looking at that case. Did you have something to do with that, that they started looking at his case again to figure out if something was weird with the case? There was fraud. You had something to do with that. Yes, I did. Wow. I was contacted by someone that said, you need to, you need to um, ask these questions. You need to find out what he did in 2003. You need to research this. I got to have a source. And I thought, oh, okay. And I started asking questions. And uh, it's like to open up a can of worms. Everybody, I talked to people that just were happy to tell me all the details and how he lied and cheated and how awful he was and how nasty he was and his volatile temper and they all hated him. They hated him. It was just, it was very interesting. So that's how I was able to get some information. And then when I found out, someone sent me some photographs of Dave Kite sailing with Kelly on the beach. And I forwarded all these photographs to the Broome County, well, to the Steuben County DA, Brooks Baker, 
I got some to the Sandra Cardone, who was the Broome County. The reason why they charged him in two counties is because he banked in one county and received his benefits in another, from another. That's how they got him in two counties. Very strange up in New York. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that after all these other things, you so you were already involved in trying to prove that he had something to do with Kelly's disappearance, and then you get involved in this fraud case. And once yeah, again, I'm gonna. Yeah. Although you said it already, I'm going to say it again. What he started doing was he hacked your website, your email. He started making comments. Yes. He had, he started impersonating you online. Yes, he did. He he hacked in and, uh, and and started uh, saying he was that he was writing as me. Mm-hmm. Um, got into one of my other email accounts, which I finally had to close. Um, did the blog thing where he it was a David Perry's innocent blog where he just wrote absolutely horrific things um, about me and you know I was no journalist I was just a fat whore I mean it was really that was the mild stuff it was really mm-hmm. bad and then she said the same things about Kelly which was really awful and Kelly's parents you know read this although her mother stayed away from it her sisters were really hurt by it because her sisters knew him and. They had assumed that he was going to treat their sister with respect, and he never made one move to help find her, never was interviewed, didn't have a thing to say. Mm-hmm. So this whole thing with the fraud was actually part of me trying to find the chink in his armor. What did he do? How, you know, what made him this way? And this was part of his history was the fact that he had um, done this perpetrator this fraud and I think that, you know, it just it was pattern. It was going to pattern for me. And what I was trying to do was use that as the pattern of him always getting away with stuff. He was always yeah. able to skirt the law because he thought he knew it. Um, you know, he was receiving Social Security as well. And at one point, he boasted to everybody that he was making $7,000 a month. It's a nice gig so if you can get it, as yeah, the saying you goes. Think? Yeah. Yep. But he did end up, though, the fraud case did happen. He went to jail. How long did he go to jail? And when was that? They gave gave him a four to six, a four to to 15. And the reason why they did that is because these guys up in New York, they know he killed Kelly. They know he's he's capable of it. Some of them went to school with him at Horsehead. Some of them, they, they just knew him. They knew him around town. They all said to a person, again, that he was capable of of killing someone. So they pursued the case. They pursued the case um, with a real big vigor, and they tried to give as much information as they had to Pinellas County Sheriff's Office. Um, and they were trying to coordinate with them. Mm-hmm. They had, you know, they did everything they could, and they, they really, they wanted him. They wanted to get him in jail. They knew he did it. You know, they had the fraud case. They knew he did the fraud case because it was proven. So it was kind of a, you know, a little bit of the, a little bit of justice for Kelly. Not much. But it was a little bit of justice for Kelly. And he served, um, I guess, two years and was out, not this past September, but last September before that. So September um, 2015? Uh, or, yes. I think it was 15, yes. I think it was okay. 15. He went in 13 and came out 15. Um, and in the middle of all that, he got into a fight with a, with a prisoner and hit the prisoner in the head with a, with a mop bucket, gave him stitches. So he was in protective. They moved into Clinton. That's the prisoner. That's the uh, 
jail that the two prisoners escaped from, the two murderers that were all mm. leading police all over the chase. I remember that. For three weeks. Yeah. Um, he was in that particular prison, but he was in protective custody. They treated him because he was uh, ostensibly in law enforcement, per se. Mm-hmm. He was in protective custody the whole time. So he got off. He got off pretty scot free. If yeah, if you want to know the truth. But yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. There was, bit, yeah. there was a little bit of justice that we got him in jail, and I think he was extremely surprised when he was convicted. Um, did he plead out, or did he fight it, or what happened? Well, um, I believe he took a deal with his attorney. Um, they did have two trials. The first was hung, and so he was out for about a month, and then they recharged him. They did a retrial. They retried him, and they found him guilty. Okay. So he was guilty in two counties. That was the big thing. He was guilty in both Broome and Stuben because the fraud was perpetrated in one county, and then he received it, he received it from, received his monies from one county and banked in the other. And that's how they, that's just how they do it up there. It's different. It's very strange. Do you suspect that him, um, when he got married, changing his name and changing, you know, his ID, getting that was a way to, do you think that he was preparing to flee because of the Kelly Rothwell disappearance or or do you think he was trying to flee because of the fraud case that was coming against him no because he no i believe he was setting up to get out of the country i believe he was going to head to mexico because he's mr beach he thinks he's mr beach he likes fun and fun and he would never go to canada and like i said the international driver's license is only good in canada and mexico Mm mm-hmm and here's the thing. I got from a source that he bought a brand new car with cash, with a Honda. Like a, what a year? Bronze. What year would this have been? Uh, 2013, I believe. Okay. Um, he bought a brand new Honda, and he parked it in his garage, and then he, he newspapered up all the windows. So nobody would see it. But my source was a friend of the car dealer. And the car dealer knew that my source was giving me information and said, hey, you might want to know something about David Perry. He just bought a brand new car with cash. So if you put together these these things that I, this is how I sort of putting things together. Mm-hmm. He bought a brand new car. He had obtained an international driver's license. It would take approximately six months. So he married in July, August, September, October, November, December, January. January 2000, it would be January 2012. But in that January, he had posted bail. And in that January, I received a phone call from a source that said, did you know David Perry's house is for sale? I said, what? At 1708 Church Street in Elmira. I said, it's for sale. So I instantly I go, okay. He changed his name, got a driver's license, bought a new car, selling his house. Those four things right there tell me those are not the the actions of a of a, of a man who's not guilty of something, as, as far as I'm concerned. Um, so I made a couple phone calls, including to someone who had known his bail bondsman, and I sent them a 
email and said, you know, if you were the bail bondsman that held David Perry's bail and if he used his house as collateral and if that house was being sold, would that be a problem? Hmm. Now, the bail bondsman, I, I, I place it hypothetically because a bail bondsman is not allowed to give me information because that's a privilege. And I didn't, I didn't go, I didn't pass mm-hmm. the privilege. I, I did it, I did it very, you know, sort of obtusely. Mm-hmm. And um, so it turns out that that was the house he had used as his collateral for his bond. And two days later, his bond was revoked and he was back in jail. No wonder so, this guy hates you, Lee. <laughs> oh, he hates my guts, baby. Trust me when I tell you, he hates my guts. I mean, you, the and, thing is, you if we're going to judge our lives by the kind of enemies that we have, you are a very good person. Thank you. <laughs> well, you know, I don't know what came over me because, like I said before, I had always written features and uh, light news and things like that. I got into this, and I bit into this like a big red apple, and it mm. just made me... You know, my natural curiosity took over, and it just it just steamrolled, and I was able to start really cultivating sources and things. And I found out I had a head for it. I had a, I had the attitude for it. You which do. I, yeah. I was really thinking, well, then Patch, well, then see, during all this time, I didn't have my blog yet. Patch uh, changed their modem, their 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 way, their uh, their mode of, of giving people news, and they stopped using freelancers. They were just doing. Several just editors were compiling from news reports and from media alerts, and they were just putting out a sort of like a mixed paper, like, you know, USA Today used to be. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't have a venue, and I was in the middle of this case. So that's when Linda, my editor from Patch, suggested I start a blog. And I had no idea. I must tell you guys, if you go to the blog, I apologize for the design, but I, it took me hours to try to figure that stuff out. But I did. And that's when I just started writing, and it just steamrolled from there. And then I was able to keep up with my readers, and I would tell them I would post it. It was a new posting on the blog, please read. And every time I got some information, <clears throat> pardon me, mm-hmm. that I could share, I posted it. And, you know, that's so all the whole time was when the bloggers had just started. And, um, yeah, that's what I. That was that became my venue. That became the avenue to keep Kelly's name out there, and I have been doing that ever since. Um, I just want to cover some additional facts about this. Is he before we move on? Because I, I think that we've painted the kind of picture uh, for David Perry that everybody needs to know. They know his name. They know where he lives. They know all these facts about him now. Just a few more things. Is he still married to Melissa Walker? No. Uh, apparently, between my open letter and several other influences on her, she divorced him mm. uh, in July, I believe, two years ago. And I did that because I called Hawaii and looked up the records, um, the marriage and divorce records. I uh, was able to find when they had been divorced, and I, I was able to print that. That's on my blog as well. Okay. Um, she divorced him. However, she still said that she loved him. And that she didn't think that he was guilty, but that she couldn't stand the pressure of, mm. you know, the constant pressure of people questioning her and, you know, mm. thinking that the man she was married to was a murderer. Have you ever talked to her? I have not spoken with her on the phone. We've communicated via uh, one email and then over through the blog. I did it that way, and she wouldn't speak to me. 
Mm. She, she said David told her not to speak to anybody. And I'm sure he told her not to speak to me. So she divorces him. She has to be the first divorced woman I've ever heard of that listens to her divorced husband. <laughs> well, that's, yeah. you know, that's a little, had, that's a little unique. Well, you know, she, I think that she was bowled over by him. She said he was absolutely charming, mm-hmm. that he was wonderful to her, that he took care of her, that he was kind, that he was loving and, you know, all the things. And I actually did a post that said that she's probably got out of there with her life. And I don't, I don't think she realized it until after she heard about a bunch of stuff that he had done, especially his domestic violence issues with Luana, which were all substantiated by policemen who had been there and had written the report. So I think when you're confronted with that kind of uh, knowledge and that kind of information, you really have to make an informed choice. And I think that's what she finally did. Okay. You had told me, and I just have this in my notes, and I'm not sure where this goes in the timeline of all of this, you know, all this information with this case. You told me that that somebody had found $120 some thousand dollars hidden in his house. Yes, when they when they went to arrest him to rearrest him for the insurance fraud. For the insurance fraud, mm-hmm. after his bail was revoked, um, they went to arrest him, and they they had a squad of people. There were about six or seven state police cars there. Two or three of the Elmira cops were there. And I got a phone call. Someone was sending me pictures, literally from the scene. So I jumped on my computer, and I was literally writing a post as I was watching these photographs come in of him being arrested. And it was called, they took away all the toys. And they loaded up his car. They loaded up a motorcycle. They loaded up a, a snowmobile. I think a boat and some other, a kayak and some other things, um, and took them away. And, and when they did, they did a search of the home. I personally think that they did a thorough search of the home because they were wondering if there was any evidence of Kelly. Remember, yeah, these New York yeah. State police guys, they, they think he killed her. Yeah. And because of that, I think they did an extremely thorough search. They found $128,000 apparently taped or hidden up under a, a a drawer in one of his um, dresser drawers. And they confiscated that and all of his belongings, all of his toys, as I called them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, that's what they did. They confiscated. Although later they tried, his his attorney tried to get the judge to release it, release it back to him. But I don't believe they did because he was supposed to have disclosed that on a form and he did not. So legally he did not conform to their... um, questions and so i don't know if i think as i know right now i think they kept it i think the state kept it and you would think given now you we all now the listeners and you of course know you know we now told the listeners that given that along given the money along with the changing of the name the international driver's license that seems like a perfect recipe for somebody trying thinking about getting away well, and I had always said that I thought he was going to head to Cabo, and that was Cabo San Lucas. That's mm-hmm. one, of, uh, one of the places he always said he wanted to visit. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that I was right. I, I believe that it was the, the Pinellas County Sheriff's Office that ended up talking to uh, Michelle, I mean, uh, Marie, um, Melissa Walker, and she did confirm that he had said he wanted to move to Mexico. So, mm-hmm. And I, I posted that a little before they even found that out. So I was trying to give every bit of information that I got, and I gave to the mm-hmm. police. 
Yeah. And every time, because I said I couldn't do anything legally, I've been right about it. But giving them giving them information would enable them to, you know, start an investigation, and that's what I was yeah. hoping they would do, and that's what they did. You know, I'm still wondering. This is just me speculating a little bit. I'm just still wondering what exactly he would be fleeing from. I mean, once again, it goes back to was it the insurance fraud? Because honestly, as far as I can tell, and maybe as far as you know, they aren't any closer to sticking him with Kelly's disappearance now than they were in, when she disappeared. So Correct. would he be fleeing something where he thinks maybe he got away with it? Or I mean, how do you how do you look into that? I think that he was. Um, I think that he was. It was a twofold thing. I think that he was trying to get out of town because uh, he knew he was going to probably be convicted of the fraud. Okay. But I also think that it was because of Kelly. I think that he. It's always been my theory, as I said before. Mm. earlier tonight, that he probably hid her body or put her body somewhere up there. Mm. And I believe that he was just trying to get away, like he has a penchant for he likes to just leave when things get tough like that, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I think that he, if he was in a country and unable to be found or extradited, or if he, you know, if they, they weren't going to find her body, he was safe. He was, you know, he was going to be safe from prosecution in case anything did happen. Now, again, that's my theory. Yeah. I can't speak to what the police think. Yeah. Um, but I think that he, you know, he, he couldn't, he really couldn't go back to Florida. So I think he looked at Mexico, and that was his next stop. And he probably would have, if Melissa hadn't wanted to go with him, he would have found someone who down there who did, and that's, he would have just kept perpetrating the same um, you know, methods that he mm. used all through his life. Yeah. I'd like to go back to something you, you said before about your theory about him taking Kelly's body back to New York. And we're not, and uh, I told you that we're not going to say this on the air because we've had a discussion about this, but we don't want to top him off. You have a pretty decent idea. Let's put it this way if you hit Powerball tomorrow. You, I know you have one of your number one places that you would look. You have an idea. We're not going to say it now because we don't want to tip off if we're right or if you're right. I'm just going along with you. You have a theory about what he did that would go along with kind of his personality, right? Absolutely. Yes, I do. And I have a, I have a pretty – I've been doing a lot of research, and if I hit the Powerball tomorrow – I would be on a plane after I find someone to take care of my rescue dogs for a couple of weeks. Yes, yes. I would be on a plane. I have people that I can stay with in Elmira. That's, those are the kind of people, that, the friendships I've formed, and I don't know these people. I only know them from phone calls, from emails, and from Facebook. But these people have all, to, to, all, have all offered to put me up, and if I want to come up there and do the research. And frankly, had I had the money, I would have done it, you know, I would have done it and gone up there. My biggest, my biggest thing would be to just show up at his doorstep and say, "Hi, I'm Lee Clifton." So, um, I, I think that he I have a couple of theories. Mm -hmm. uh, I we don't, we don't want to, we don't want to theorize too much in case we're going to tip him off. Right. That's why, that's why I brought that up. No, that way. I know. Well, this is something I've already written. So okay. Okay. He's my blog, by the way, because I know his, his IP address, and I, I, have, I can see my IPs on my blog, and I know he reads it. Because um, he also answers back to it, too. So, 
I just think he, um, you know, he used to hunt and fish up there all the time. And there are several spots and he were his favorite spots up there. So those are some of the places that I'm thinking that he might have thought about. I also think that he might have put her in a place where he could go back and see her. He likes to have control. Yeah. And this is, again, again, this is a theory, but he likes to have control over things. And I'm thinking that maybe he put her someplace where he could go revisit. I'm sorry. It's all right. That he could go visit, um, bicycle by, drive by, hike by, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't know yet, but I'm going to find out because I've made it my mission. Yeah. And I'm going to find out to where she is, and I'm going to bring Kelly Russell home. You also, you also had a chance to talk to his son once, didn't you? Well, I did, and I, tr- I reached out to him early on, which was probably maybe a week after everything happened. And I, got, I reached out to him on Facebook, and then I called him once, but he did not want to speak to me. And by that time, David had gotten to him and told him not to speak to anybody. And how old is his son? Uh, Let's just make for the listeners. How old would his son have been at the time? He was, I think he was 21. His name is okay. Davey. Davey. Okay. Davey. He was by David. His name is David. He was by Davey. And, um... I mean, his son said something very, very interesting. Uh, he said, I've lost the two people I love the most. I just wish Kelly was here to tell me everything was going to be all right. And I thought that was just a really strange text. And the way he used the tense of it was that I wish, I just wish she had been here to tell me everything was going to be all right. So it was past tense, and it just struck me, and it was one of those things that I just kind of, kept a, a note in my head about. Mm-hmm. And after that, I tried to get him to talk to me, and he refused, and he wouldn't answer any of my Facebook things. I tried to reach out to him. I mean, I was very soft. I was very kind with him. I said, I just want to talk to you. How do you feel? What's going on? Because apparently he was quite close with Kelly. So, and I never was able to speak to him again. I know the police interviewed him. And he was, he was didn't close. he get caught taking a box out of the condo or something like that? Or? Yes, about... Three days after, maybe that Tuesday or Wednesday, no, this was about a week later, he got into the condo somehow, I guess he had a key, and um, was walking out, and I guess the police had it staked out, and he was walking out with a a cardboard box, and the police took it from him, and I never knew what was in it, and they never said what was, Uh, but that was something that he went in and tried to get and take, and uh, they never released the contents. Mm -hmm. Also... um, at some point, Perry came down, back down to Florida, and went to his storage locker, which he had a, a you know, a commercial storage locker. Uh, and the police showed up, and he just told them he was getting bar stools and just left. He's run every single time the police have tried to speak with him. He literally ran when he was up in Elmira. He literally ran from from the police when the Pinellas County Sheriff's Office went up there to speak to him twice. Hmm. And uh, he ran from them, took off, got really agitated, very irritated, and just ran. Literally ran down the street. So, Does his uh, – we're leaving the listeners with the impression, does his son live here in Florida? His son is in Florida, yes. His son lives in Florida. He's over on Treasure Island area. His son actually got arrested, too. He got into a bar fight because his, he was being heckled by some people at a local bar that was just up the street from where Kelly and David lived. 
then he got arrested for throwing a punch. So that was, you know, kind of news. He was just, I guess he was just frustrated with people, and people were heckling him, so he got into a fight with a guy. Does the, but, does the ex-wife live down here near us as well? Is, is... She has moved down here since, yes. She oh, okay. used to live up in the up in Elmira area, okay. and she's since moved down here. She's in uh, Lower Florida. Okay. And, and I speak with her, and I've met her and her husband, Brian, and um, she's very nice. I like her very much, and she was a wealth of information, and the police actually were able to speak with her as well after I got found her and got a hold of her. They didn't even know who she was. They didn't know she was she existed. So hmm. we, able, we were able to get some good insight from her. I, I just was trying to think about this. So Dave, at the time when he, when David and Kelly were together, his son didn't live too far away at the time. No. In fact, he, he used to come over apparently and, and visit, um, and they would do things together once in a while, I believe. Yeah. Um, and he was, he was fairly close with Kelly. I think she was very sweet yeah. with him. I mean, she apparently, from all from all things that I've heard about her, was just a really kind, sweet, loving person. And she did not deserve what she got. Yeah. She did not deserve to die. Yeah. Well, I think that we've given uh, the listeners, uh, you know, we've, uh, this, I mean, there's so many facts and interesting points in this case, you know, and it's it's disgusting that a guy like that is still walking around, you know, because, you know, because being that I do a missing person show, but I've been following disappearances and unsolved murders and things for years and years and years. The truth is, it seems like there have been people convicted on less evidence than they have would have on David Perry. But still, the only thing that he's been ever been in jail for is insurance fraud. Correct. And here's the here's the thing about that, Ed, is that he has kept his mouth shut yeah. and there is no body. Had he given any kind of an interview, that would have opened the door. But he knows. He's smart. He's very smart. He's not a stupid mm. person. He's very smart. He's yeah. technologically savvy. He's, he's uh, technologically savvy. He's, you know, he's able to hack people like he did with me and a couple of other people um, and threaten people. I, during the time we were talking, just real briefly, just want you to know that he actually contacted the um, bosses of some of the people that we were working with. Uh, we were on Facebook, some of our Facebook friends that mm. were from out of town and different places. They actually called the school superintendent of one of the employees who was on Facebook and just left horrible messages and called several different people's bosses. It was just really crazy um, mm. just to, to intimidate them. So... There's a lot. It's, it's, a, there's a, it's a very deep, weird case. It has lots of twists and turns. But I think if you look at it as a whole, I think you can get a picture of a person who is truly evil. Yeah. I mean, truly evil. I mean, Sinister. I just, it, it's just so, and he has no conscience. And, you know, I, it's, it's hard. You read about it all the time and you think, wow, you know, this is a book. I mean, this is like a, a, a book about a, an evil person. Well, yes, it's the truth. It's not fiction. It's real. And mm. everything he's done, and there's plenty more, believe me. Yeah. I know we don't have time for that, no, but you no. and I have spoken about it. Yeah, we've, but, we've talked off the record about some of that stuff, yes. We, we're not going to get into I, that and, here. And it's, and it's reprehensible. Just suffice to say for your listeners, it is very reprehensible. Yeah. And in fact, one of the, dot, one of the uh, detectives here said if he did the same things he did in Florida that he did in 
um, New York, he would have been in jail by now. They were they were jailable offenses. That's what those were. That was Mike Bailey, the detective's word. Yeah. So, trust me, this is a, not a good person, and he is walking around free, and he is like hitting on people, and you know, look, trying to hook up with girls twenty years younger than him. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it, it's just unfathomable that while he's doing that, Kelly is lying somewhere. You know, and and needs to be home with her family, yeah. in whatever capacity. But she needs to be home, and he needs to be held accountable for his actions. He needs to be in jail. Yep, that's, that's my, and that's, that's why my. that's why when I saw this sh- saw this case, and it was a local case uh, because, you know, where this all happened. If maybe I haven't been clear, you know, in the introduction to this interview, but I'll say it again, that this ha- happened within four miles of where I live. I live right. in Madeira Beach. Indian Rocks Beach is approximately four to five miles north of me. And I've eaten at that Krabby Bill's place where her car was found. That's, right. And uh, that's what drew me to this. It got my attention, you know, like right away. And then, of course, then I found you. Yeah. You know, and you've been covering it for years. Let's talk about that. Let's move on to Lee Clifton what would you – you know, there are a lot of people out there who are web sleuthers. Websleuths.com, you know, amateur detectives, and I know you are not an amateur. You had extensive reporting experience before you started right. this. But a lot of this was really like first-time stuff for you. Yeah. What, um, what would you suggest to those people? I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. What I was going to say, what suggestions you would you give to people who, you know, hear hear your story and are like, you know what, what she is doing is making such a difference. She is on the trail of this guy and will not give up. How do I find that within myself to do the same thing? What would you tell people like that? Well, I think it was the connection. What what did it for me? That was the connection I had with her mother, Nancy. In that brief time that I met her and I saw the pain in her face and it just touched me and I thought, wow. And again, like I said, East Coast girls, baby, they all stick together. Yes. And I'm a Delaware girl, you know, we go to the beach and we used to beach in, in Maryland and they're from Maryland. And I lived in Baltimore, outside of Baltimore for a couple of years. I lived in Washington after that. So it's all on the same coast, you know. And I think it was the fact that it was so senseless and so unnecessary that this woman who had so much to give and was so loving should have her life taken when all the guy had to do was just walk away, just walk away. She probably would never have said another thing about him. She would not have turned him in, I'm sure. She would have just let him walk away. And let him go, and he was not going to have that because he had to have control, and that's the way he was. Is he's very controlling. So mm-hmm. for me, it just got under my skin, and I think, like I said, I don't have any idea where that promise to Mrs. Rothwell came from. I have no idea. It. I just mm-hmm. opened my mouth, and it came out. It wasn't planned. I didn't even know if she was going to speak with me. I mean, it just. It just was one of those things and so once I got into it and I realized the depth of depravity of this guy and how many other people had been hurt by him Mm -hmm. 
And there were many, many other people that were really hurt by him. Yeah. That that's what made me sink my teeth into it. And I have pit bulls. I guess I'm like a pit bull. I'm a pit yeah. bull journalist. I, after people, I don't let go. Um, do you think? Let me ask. Let me ask you this, and I don't want to get too. And if this is too personal, a question you can just not answer it. All right, but it's a little bit of a philosophy question. Looking back now at when this all happened with Kelly disappearing, do you think that this is something that you kind of needed in your life? You needed something. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying here, but um, you know because you've been so dogged at it. You know, and you've been threatened, and you've had this done to you and that done to you that you're not stopping. Uh, you're going to catch this guy. Was that something you think you needed when this all happened in your well, life? Well, I think what gave me, I think what it did was give me a real direction mm-hmm. because I had, as I told you, I had been injured, badly injured in a, a work comp related accident. Coincidentally, isn't that funny? I, uh, a work comp accident. I actually fell and sliced through my left wrist behind a restaurant bar oh um, and almost died. And it was pretty bad. And I've been trying to, it's been very painful ever since. And it's going to be painful the rest of my life. So I was just trying to get back into doing more journalism and more photography. And that's how Pat came along. And mm-hmm. I said, well, I'll just send them some information and maybe they'll, but it, I think it did give me a, a sense of purpose and it did give me yeah. something to work for because it's justice. And I and I guess I realized that this is something that I am passionate about. I wasn't aware that I was passionate about it until I became involved. And then I realized that if no one speaks for this woman, this guy gets away with it. And, I mean, I didn't do it for the glory. I don't make money on my blog, just so mm-hmm. everyone knows. I make zero money. Yeah. I am not paid. I have not been paid since 2012 from Patch because I only did, you know, the four or five stories on it with them and the rest is absolutely no money involved and I don't do it for money I did it because I made a promise and the kind of person I am I'm going to fulfill the promise if I can do it I'll do everything I can to make it happen so maybe I did need it I don't know I don't think I consciously said oh I need to find something okay but I think that it gave me a direction and I found that I was good at it which I didn't know, that made me all the more eager to pursue it and to keep pursuing it until I can come to some kind of conclusion. So you would say to anybody that's listening to this, and, I, and I'm telling you there are going to be many, many people who are going to hear this show, many, many, that if they hear you and they identify with you, I think what you're saying is that if you think that there's something going on out there and somebody's getting away with something, you know, you have to put your heart into it. You know, you, you just have to. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. If you if you if you think that something's going on and you can figure out a way to help, you mm. need to help. Yeah. That's what you do. You, people have to be helped. See, Kelly didn't have that luxury because she stayed silent because she was embarrassed. I think. I think because she, you know, here she was a strong, very smart woman, and she was caught in this relationship that was just so detrimental to her. And I think she was embarrassed. I think she didn't really ask for help. She didn't tell anybody. She really told no one about any of the abuse. I mean, the thing is that people that knew her had noticed the differences in her because they knew her as bubbly and fun and laughing, and she was quiet and reserved and silent around him. So I think that especially for 
women like myself, if you see friends of yours who suddenly become that type of reserved or, or, you know, quiet and don't speak, especially if you see bruises, if you think she looks splinting, if she's, you know, involved, if you think there's possible domestic abuse of any kind, you need to let somebody know. And I think that, you know, you should be curious about it. We should all be curious about it. Right. Well, uh, Lee, I, I can't thank you enough. I think that uh, you and I, being, I mean, we obviously do live very close to each other. We've not met each other in person yet, but I would like to do that soon, Absolutely. somewhere down the road, you know, just to talk over coffee or something like that and Absolutely. shoot the BS or something very, very soon. Uh, Absolutely. But I thank you for being on the show. I thank you for your work. And, uh, you know, I'm, of course, you know, I do different cases. But if I can continue to, you know, if I can help you in some way, continue what you're doing here, you let me know. I will, Ed, and, and I want to thank you again for allowing, you know, us to showcase Kelly's case because it's becoming a cold case. I mean, we've called everybody. We've, you know, we've called all the shows, the major shows, and no one wants to take it on because they usually don't take a, a case like this on unless there's been a conclusion so that they can finish the end of the show, like, you know, 48 Hours and Dateline and all those guys. We, we called John Walsh. We called a lot of people. And um, and you won't be going on Nancy Grace anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, won't be going on Nancy Grace anymore unless she says, by the way, the timeline I used in, in, in both of my shows on Kelly Russell was written by Lee Clifton. I don't think yeah, so. Right. Um, but that's okay. You know what? It's not about me. That was the thing. Mm -hmm. I let it go because it wasn't about me. It was about Kelly. And if Kelly's voice... We could get Kelly's voice out there somehow, then that's what was worth it. And that's fine. I'm fine with that. So, you know, that's the whole point was to get her name. And, and, and thank you again for allowing, giving us a platform that we can highlight, you know, how wonderful she was. She was much loved. Yeah. She was a beautiful young woman. You know, she would have been 40 this year. She should have been having a, a 40th birthday bash with a bunch of girls and drinking shots of tequila and having fun and, you know, doing yeah. her thing. And instead, she's lying somewhere. And, protecting, no and protecting the citizens of Pinellas County as a policeman. And she would have been, absolutely, she would have been protecting the citizens of Pinellas County. Yeah. I mean, she was going to be hired by two different police departments looked at her, and they both wanted her. So, um, you know, she was well on her way. To fulfilling a dream she had, and it was snatched from her by someone who is now walking around free and enjoying his life, and he doesn't deserve that. Yeah. He doesn't deserve to be free. No, he doesn't. Lee, tell me a little bit about this poem that you wrote, and if you could, can you read it for us? Sure, and I um, have been interviewing so many of Kelly's friends and family, and <clears throat> was just struck by how wonderful she was portrayed by all of them, and how much they missed her, and how much they loved her, and how kind and generous she was, how sweet she was. I mean, it just really moved me, and this, this kind of, this case has really gotten to me emotionally, and then I feel like I'm really connected to it. I did want to tell you that Nancy's mother said something to me uh, when I first got on the case. She turned to me and she said, you know what, I think Kelly picked you for her case. And I got to tell you, it was a big moment for me because I was extremely honored. I was flattered, but I was more so very honored. 
And so I was sitting down one evening, and I was had talked to Donna and her friends, and everybody had given me some really beautiful words. And I thought, you know, I'm going to write this poem. And I write poetry. I write some things, and I write short stories and things like that. But it was just, I don't know, it just came out of me, and I sat down and wrote it and didn't do any revisions. It just, it is the way I wrote it. So if you don't mind, I'll read it for you. Please. It's called Poor Kelly. It's pretty simple. A light in a world of darkness, a smile in a world of pain. You spread your love like the wings of angels, folding gently, gently folding. Your friends can feel you in the delicate whisper of wings on their cheeks. You come to them, brushing away their tears for you. You say, don't cry, for I'm here among you. I hear your pain, you say. I feel your anguish. Your thirst for revenge, for the blood of the guilty. But I have no pain. I'm free, you say. Listen to the wind as it blows softly against your face, you say. That is my laughter. Listen to the birds that sing, you say, for that is my song. Watch the waves crash to the shore, you say, and the soft tide slide back into the ocean. That is my never-ending patience. Watch as the crescent moon rides high in the night sky, you say. That is my smile. Look into your heart, you say. For that is where I live now. I'm sorry, it makes me very emotional to read it. I just feel really connected to it, and it just somehow was my way of honoring a woman that I've never met mm-hmm. and never will. And I wanted to share it yeah. with her family and friends. Now, you had a an instant where there was a a memorial for Kelly, and her mother was going to read it, but she was too emotionally overcome to do it, and you did it for her, correct? No, her mother wasn't there. It was her oh, sisters okay. that were there. Oh, oh sisters, and then Donna, okay. Donna Sherritt was there, and Donna was originally going to read it, because as mm-hmm. I wrote it as a journalist, I wouldn't normally do that. Mm-hmm. And I had given the copy to her, and she, when it came time for her to read it, she just couldn't. She was so overcome. And the sisters just were so overcome. It was extremely emotional. They were giving Kelly a plaque, dedicating a plaque to her. And there were a lot of people there. And it was just really an emotional time. So Donna turned to me and she said, please just read it. And the sisters said, Lee, just read it. So I did. Um, mm-hmm. And <clears throat> it was very emotional. Yeah. It still is. It's, it's emotional can, now. I can tell. I can tell. Yeah, it still really gets me. I just feel like this case is part of my soul now. I don't know. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that with us, Lee. Lee, give out your information where people can find you online. Uh, We want to make sure you get the proper respect here. Thank you so much, Ed. It's www.tampabaycrimereport.com, all one word. Or you can Google my name. It's L-E-I-G-H and then Clifton, C-L-I-F-T-A-N, and the report will come right up. Mm-hmm. I also write an animal rights, rights blog, and you'll find out as well. So. And you run, and you are part of the and the site. What's the Facebook site for Kelly? Um, bring Bring Kelly Rothwell home, and that is the site that we use to post the blog post and put it out there on Facebook. It's one of them. There are several. Um, her friend Donna has one. I believe it's Light the Way for Kelly Rothwell. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe that's one. And um, but Bring Kelly Rothwell Home was the main one, and there's the ones that the sisters are on. And, you know, they would appreciate anyone going to the site and liking it, going to the page mm-hmm. on Facebook. Leave a comment if you've heard this broadcast, which I mm-hmm. hope you do. Yeah. You know, tell us what you think. Say hi to Lindsay and Lauren. 
they're hurting too. And and uh, her sister Kristen, she has another sister Kristen, who you don't hear much about, but she's other. She has another sister Kristen, so it's Kristen, Lindsay, and Lauren, and then Miss Nancy is the mother, and they're all hurting. They're missing her terribly. And, and most importantly, sister. for any of the listeners, if you have any information regarding David Perry, contact the police and also contact Lee. That's what you're Absolutely. supposed. To, that's what you're supposed to do. Absolutely. You can contact me directly at LeeClifton at MSN.com. Okay. And I will get back to you. Lee, thank you for being on the show. Can't, can't thank you enough. Ed, thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it, and have a good evening. You're welcome. Thank you for being on Unfound. Thank you. And that was my interview with Lee Clifton. Such a complex case. A lot of things to put into a timeline, but I believed once I started reading Lee Clifton's website, the Tampa Bay Crime Report, and listening to her talk about it, that I thought all of you needed to know everything, even if it necessarily wasn't connected directly to Kelly disappearing on that particular day in 2011. Because I think what you can see is that David Perry has been an evil guy probably his entire life. And this wasn't just some one-off thing that he might have done on that Saturday against Kelly. And to this day, since 2011, he continues to be an evil guy. Now, I should add that there are – I just wanted to make a couple clarifications regarding information that was spoken about on – during the interview because I thought a couple things, and afterwards I got them cleared up with Lee. It should be noted that Melissa and David married in July 2011, so four months after Kelly disappeared. They divorced in December 2012. Once again, during my interview with her, we were trying to get the timeline right, and there's so many dates, so many locations, so many people that I thought that might have gotten missed in all the details. Regarding the car that David was trying to hide, he got that car in early 2012, roughly six months after he married Melissa. And then Lee also wanted me to tell all of you that her blog regarding the disappearance of Kelly started in April 2011, so just a month after Kelly disappeared. I should also note, and I guess this is what fascinates uh, me about what Lee has done, is that I consider this to be real investigating. She is making a difference. She is uncovering Facts about David that I'm not sure anybody would have known otherwise. In fact, I think it's safe to say that without Lee Clifton, that David Perry would not be in the United States anymore. It's very clear to me that he and that car and that money would have escaped to Mexico, maybe never to be seen again. That is what real investigation is, and I've told you. I don't consider myself to be an investigator, and that's why I give so much respect to Lee. I'm just a reporter. I want to go out and find people like Lee Clifton 
who are trying to track these monsters down to the point where these monsters know the Lee Clifton's out there. And of course, that's where all of the hacking and trash talking and trolling um, has happened regarding between David and Lee over the past few years. There's one more thing that all of you should know about David Perry. I had it in my notes. I meant to talk to Lee about it. Unfortunately, uh, we missed it, and that is my fault. How bad is David Perry? How evil is he? This is a true story. His mother banned him from her own funeral. Think about that. As to why David Perry is still walking around as a free man, even though having spent uh, a couple years in jail or however long it was for his insurance fraud, it probably helps that no blood or anything was found at the scene. And as Lee and I talked about, that I believe that his preferred mode of hurting people, and in this case probably killing Kelly, was strangulation, a form of killing that doesn't leave a lot of traces. But maybe we, all of us out here, and you the listeners, can hang on to the fact that there have been many killers, murderers, suspects who have been convicted without a body. And this is also one of those cases, I think, where it's kind of obvious what happened. That's what our common sense tells us. But common sense in this case has not quite met the judicial standard. Until then, we have to hope that David Perry makes a mistake, says something to the wrong person. Maybe if Kelly Rothwell's body is out there, he gets nervous. Maybe there's a search that's going to be conducted, uh, something like that. And I'm pretty sure that if David Perry is eventually charged with Kelly Rothwell's disappearance, and hence murder, that it will be because of the work that Lee Clifton has done the last five years. And she's not going to stop. And that's a promise, as you heard, that she made to Kelly's mother. And so she will be in pursuit of evil, Lee will, until this case is resolved. And I give her all the credit in the world for that. Deep respect for her. And that ends the show. You can find me on Twitter. My account name is Unfound Podcast. You can also find this show on Podomatic and iTunes. I'd love for you to subscribe. I'm Ed Denzel, and you've been listening to Unfound. <laughs>